What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, doing you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. By way of introduction, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. I'm an organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and an author. You can learn more about me and the work I do at EliseCortez.com or Gusto-Now.com. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is a thought leadership series that enlightens and inspires listeners and viewers with insights from distinguished business leaders, authors, and subject matter experts. By listening in, you're part of the movement to create inspirational leaders and enlivening workplaces where we can thrive and do business that betters the world. Glad you're here. Now on to this week's program. With us today is John Baker, who founded D2L in 1999 at the age of 22 while attending the University of Waterloo. DTL is, is a global software company that believes Learning is the foundation upon which all progress and achievement rests. We'll be talking about the importance of ongoing learning, how to retool the workplace, and what companies can do to help restart the economy. Joining us today from Canada, John, welcome to Working on Purpose. Elise, it's a real, real pleasure to join you. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. I'm so glad that we, we found each other, thanks to the people that brought us together, your agent, etc. So when I meet people like you, John, who were literally up to something in life, I get so excited about that. So I'm happy to share you and your story with our listeners and viewers. And I want to start by talking about how D2L came to be. And if I remember right, it stands for Desire to Learn. Um, and I want to just share what I learned by reading it, the chapter in, in, one, in the book that you have. But you say that you were interested in engineering and, and technology when your third year college systems design professor gave you an assignment to define a problem, something that was actually foreign to you at that time. So tell us why this experience was so formative to you and how it really led to D2L. Well, up until that point, uh, you know, as an engineer, you're taught how to solve problems, um, not go find one. <laughs> and so uh, when your, uh, you know, third year uh, faculty member says, now it's time to go out and explore the world and find a, a problem that you can solve, uh, it was it was a challenge. And so in our case, uh, our little group, we decided to go off and reinvent uh, crutches. Uh, this was, you know, a long time ago. And you know, crutches really hadn't changed for a long time. So we went off and did something pretty amazing there with that technology, went on and won awards. And it got me thinking, well, what other really important problems are there to solve in the world? Uh, and and that was what led to D2L. So in my, in my mind, I, I still remember walking across campus uh, one day, wrestling with that challenge, which was what's the most important problem that I could solve that would have the biggest impact on the world? And I couldn't think of anything bigger than going out and transforming the way the world learns because learning has this nice ripple effect. It ripples from one generation to the next through your family, uh, within the community uh, or companies that you work in. And it really helps us solve some of the biggest challenges that we all face. So I uh, rolled up my sleeves and as a third year student, decided that was what I wanted to do with my life was to you know pursue that uh, big challenge. 
Listeners and viewers, if you get nothing out of this conversation besides what he just said, that's it, right? That's the ticket. What is it that lights you up that you stand to, to be in service for for your life? That is so amazing. And John, I want you to know the ripple effect has already started in my own immediate community, thanks to you. This morning, I was so excited thinking about having this conversation with you. I talked to my 17-year-old daughter and I posed her that question. What do you so care about in the world that you want to stand for making a difference and solving in your lifetime? And of course, you know, there wasn't an answer, but at least the, the, the question was was positive. So thank you already for helping with the ripple effect. It's beautiful. Well, it has an impact. And, and I, I can tell you at 17, I didn't know what I wanted to be either. My best guess was I wanted to go on and become a doctor. Uh, but uh, it takes time and, uh, you know, to find that purpose, which is what, why I actually really enjoy, uh, you know, the opportunity to speak with you because you've been pursuing that passion for a long time. And in terms of helping people find their purpose and find meaning in their work. So looking forward to the call here today. Yeah, I'm so grateful that I get to live my purpose, but you were only 22 when you figured this out. And what I thought was so great about what you wrote about and what you shared so far is, once you got the idea that you wanted to start putting uh, courses online, you went out and asked professors if you, you could put their courses online. You got five to agree. And that opened the door for you to consider how can we use technology to reach every learner and thus transform the way the world learns, which is just phenomenal, John. 22 years old, you figure that out. Say more about how that happened and what was the process? How did you find those five original professors to start off with? Well, you got to remember that was 1999. So uh, that, was, that was just over 20 years ago. And, uh, and the, I, I didn't know how to do sales back then. I just simply went to my professors and knocked on their door <laughs> and asked if they wanted to put their courses online. And at that time, you've got to remember, there was no internet in the classroom. And so I would have to show them, you know, with printouts, <laughs> what their courses could look like in an online environment and walk them through what was possible. And, uh, and it opened their eyes. Uh, you know, it, it was a, a situation where, you know, you've got this young student coming into your office and, uh, you know, talking about the future of learning and using the internet as a way to drive that transformation. And uh, it was not an easy sell, but it was one where uh, we, I gained enough confidence with a few folks uh, that uh, it made it easier for us to go get uh, bigger and bigger programs, win entire universities, win entire states, win, and hopefully a longer term entire countries, get them to put their on online education up. Hmm. Well, let's fast forward 20 some years now, shall we? Because here you are today, um, and if uh, you correct these numbers if I don't have them quite right, but they may not be completely fresh. But from my understanding, I believe your platform serves 14.3 million people in 54 countries with 900 employees. That is breathtaking. Are, are those numbers still right? or Those those are still accurate, yeah. Uh, right. We've been working really hard to, uh, to scale out our, our learning platform to support students in schools, universities, as well as companies all over the world. Uh, and to take what was going on in the traditional classroom, first digitize it, uh, and then really try to, you know, find ways to, through technology, optimize that experience for both the students as well as the instructor. Uh, and then more recently, really digging into truly transforming the actual experience. So getting at the heart of our mission, uh, where we can, now that we're digital, uh, do things differently than what we did in the traditional classroom. Hmm. So can you give an example then of that, John? What What is a way that you're you're bringing the learning experience freshly into the digital realm where people can better access and enjoy it? Well, as you can imagine, as a student, uh, you, you know, you used to run down the hallway to deliver your paper to your teacher to, to grade it. Yes. Um, well, now now you can do that all online from your smartphone. So that, you know, that digitization has already happened. 
Uh, and then once we've done that, then we can we can change the model. So what do I mean by that? You know, typically in classes today, you would add up all of your assignments that you've done over the course of a term, divide by the total, and that would be your mark. Um, that would be how you would be assessed. Well, with digital technology, we can now do things a little differently. So we can uh, have each of those learning objectives well-defined, and then we can do all kinds of assessments against those learning objectives. So you can show your progress over time, going from not knowing something all the way to starting to master it, to exceeding expectations, to true mastery. Uh, and then that should be how you get evaluated. It's based upon that eventual outcome, not the uh, not the journey along the way, if you will. Hmm. Uh, and to me, that that's that's one of the examples of true transformation here, giving uh, folks the ability to really demonstrate their skill sets um, as they develop, and explore all kinds of new ways of uh, learning. And uh, as long as they achieve that outcome that they're desiring, and in, in terms of getting on that path that they want to pursue, whether it's becoming an engineer or a doctor or whatever they want to do in life. Hmm. But of course, I know how meaningful, and, and when we talk about meaning, we talk about motivation, how meaningful it is for people to feel a sense of mastery over, over their skills and their abilities. And I think it's phenomenal that you're helping to feed that. And, and to that end, you said something really interesting to me when, when, when we were talking first on the phone about, about this conversation. And you said that the, the word study used to mean something different than what it means today. Will you contrast the before and, and, and now? Yeah, so I, I'm, I study the history of words, so the etymology. And, uh, and study, um, if you look back at the old original definitions that were written hundreds of years ago, used to have a different definition. And so today, if you look up the word study in a, in a dictionary, it would talk about mental effort, attentive, careful, you know, everything you imagine in today's definition of study. But in the old days, it used to refer to passion, pursuit, zeal, desire. Mm. Um, you know, it's it had a completely different meaning. And, uh, and I think, you know, as we build this technology, we're actually trying to get back to that old definition of study where people could pursue their passions, could discover new things, become a great researcher, dancer, musician, whatever they were passionate about, and yet still get through their academic journey and still achieve all the outcomes they're supposed to achieve, whether it's, you know, on the path of being a nurse or a doctor or whatever it might be, um, they're able to still achieve that in a more efficient way that frees up time for this other form of study. And to me, uh, that's what education is really about. And, you know, ironically, even as we're charging forward into the future in terms of building new technologies, it actually is going to help us pull back some things that we've lost in the history as we've gone from one age to the next. Hmm. That is so alluring to me. And of course, I, I for, for the record, John, I embrace the old way of, of the old definition of study that it, it is for me. It's a passion for me. I've been going to school for most of my life. I remember when my mother was still alive, she'd say, when are you going to stop going to school? And I'm, I'm just like, I hope never, mom. And she'd like almost like fall over with a heart attack. Right. But um, <laughs> she's like, just stop already. Um, but I, I'm I've I've been in rapture with the idea of education for a long time. I've been a professor. And of course, I feel like I'm teaching on the show. But from your vantage point, I'm interested, if you could, situate for us the role of ongoing learning in today's economy and workforce, beyond yeah. what I'm passionate about, but for, for the workforce. I think, I think you're, you, well, you're, you're on, on, onto a really important topic there where, you know, when I started D2L, we thought we could have the biggest impact on people's lives in education. So, in, uh, you know, whether it's K-12 schools or university or college, that was where we're going to help set them up for life. Uh, well, that's changed in the last 20 years. So now today, you know, once you graduate from university or college, you're really not done learning. 
And so we have to almost integrate learning into life uh, so that every, every day, every year, we're making progress towards uh, the development of new skills, uh, new ideas, and new pursuits so that we can continue to evolve in our career, make one leap from one job to the next, and make sure that we stay relevant, uh, you know, as we've as as we've graduated and entered that workforce. And to me, it's more important to do that today than ever before, as as the lifespan of traditional skills are shrinking and shrinking every year. You know, to the point today where traditional technical skills might be irrelevant five years after you learn them. So, if you can imagine a traditional undergraduate degree that might take four or five years to complete, uh, is the things that you learn in year one are probably not relevant by the time you enter the workforce. So we, we need to have this constant ongoing learning uh, to really make sure that we're upskilling ourselves and reskilling and making sure that we stay current. Uh, I find that, of course, terribly exciting and alluring. But I know that there's there's a good number of people out there that probably hear that and go, oh, heck, I thought I was done learning. I'm, I don't want to learn anymore. What do you say to that? Well, we're, we're never done. <laughs> uh, I think we're done when we retire, maybe. And even then, I think uh, we're probably still learning. Um, you know, to me, um, you know, every time that we get an opportunity to, to learn new skills, it helps us grow as an individual. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think we should, we should just make it part of our, of our work, part of our journey. It shouldn't be something that's, you know, uh, we're not passionate about. I think we need to align uh, those passions that you have with the learning that you're doing. And it doesn't seem like work. Um, and I think, at least going back to the definition, if it's mental effort and careful and attentive, you know, that's one form of study. But uh, I pref- prefer the older definition, that pursuit, that desire, that passion. Mm-hmm. And if we can align those things, it really helps us find, A, our purpose, but it also helps us continue to grow in our careers, which is so important, and mm-hmm. especially as technology is sweeping through and revolutionizing uh, the way that we do almost everything. Yeah. Well, a big reason I host the show, John, is because it is it is a learning spigot for me. I, as you know, I read the books that people write in preparation for the conversations. I read your book chapter and some of the other things you've done um, because it helps me grow. So thank you for that. And I'm so glad that, that you're with me on air. Let's grab our first break. I'm Dr. Lise Cortez, your host. We're going to with John Baker. He is the founder of D2L. We've been talking a bit about where this the company came from and what he's trying to do in the world. After the break, we're, we're going to talk about retooling the workforce. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I want to share with you something fun that happened in the pandemic. It's my pandemic baby, by the way. I had a baby in the pandemic. It's called a book, Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause. Um, So it's available on on Amazon now. It came out in November, but it was something that I got to actually do while we were sort of shuttled in. So I enjoyed it greatly and I hope it brings you something as well. 
If you're just joining the program, my guest is John Baker. He's the founder of D2L. He joins us today from Canada. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So John, now let's talk about retooling the workforce. And one of the things that I've really been excited about in, in my six years of hosting this radio show is talking to various people about technology and how it changes we human beings in our lives and, 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 and along with our, with our work. So I've been very fascinated with how technological advances like AI, robotics, et cetera, kick humans upstairs, as I like to say, and they force us really to, to into a constant retooling and a constant learning to remain viable and valuable in the workplace. What's your perspective on how technology catalyzes us in our learning? Well, a, a couple things. So uh, first, uh, there is a digital transformation underway. You know, uh, as of last year, uh, the world economy, uh, digital represented about 12% of the world economy. Uh, either digital uh, na native companies like uh, Google or Facebook, all the way through to digitally transformed enterprises. And in the next three to four years, we expect that number to grow to about 50% of the world economy. So mm -hmm. we're in the, a really accelerated part of uh, the journey through a transformation. Think like the industrial revolution sped up on, you know, on steroids, if you will. And so we've got a huge shift that's happening in our economy. And ushered in by things like artificial intelligence or just simply technology and automation, robots, all kinds of other different uh, things that are happening to transform that uh, that workplace that we're in today. And so what it's driving is really the transformation of how we learn and how we adapt uh, as employers, as, as an employee, uh, to make sure that we constantly are giving ourselves uh, time in our day to, to get the new skills that we're going to need stay relevant through these transformations mm -hmm. because you know all the different studies that i'm reading uh, point to you know 30 to 50 percent of the workforce being displaced from the work that they're doing today but as an optimist i also read the other part of the studies which say that there's going to be more jobs created than exist today uh, and so you've got this really dynamic shifting environment which forces us to, to change in terms of what we're doing to stay uh, ahead of this this transformation that's occurring at a, at a much faster pace. So you're right. We've got to, you know, pick up more durable skills. Is the language I use? Lots of people refer to them as soft skills, but I think of them as durable, mm -hmm. creativity, problem solving, you know, writing, communication. Uh, all of these uh, these what we would normally think of as soft skills, I think, are actually the durable skills for this transformation. Uh, you know, these are things that are going to be relevant. No matter what role you're in, uh, you're going to be able to utilize these. Mm -hmm. And then we we also have to reskill and, and upskill ourselves to pick up these new new technologies. Whether it's you know wanting to pursue digital or other areas, there's all kinds of new skills that are in high high demand. Where there's hundreds of thousands of job openings today that are still unfilled because there's no one with those skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's really exciting, and just to sort of position this for our listeners and our viewers. Um, as a simple story, a lot of people are very afraid of the idea of technology and ta taking over our lives or, or, or um, outplacing us from the workplace. But I remember distinctly, John, a few years ago when I was going, I went to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport to check in. I was going through security and was taking off my, my jacket and getting my briefcase out. And I'm like, wow, something's weird about this. What's, what is weird? What's different about this situation? And I realized what was different was there was no longer a human being that was actually moving the, the bins from one side of the security side um, roller coaster or whatever it is to the other, and it was actually mechanized. It was now on a it was on a it was on a belt. And I went. The, my first immediate thought, John, was good. I don't want the person who used to be 
in charge of moving those bins back and forth to spend their day doing that. I want them to be talking with travelers about their problems or how to get them to their next place. And I want them doing that instead. It's a, it's a better service if they're one precious life. And so I, I like you, I'm an optimist too. And of course we have to work at this, right? So <laughs> we have to work at this learning thing. It's not easy, but um, I also want to champion the optimism in this. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, I've, I've flown through that airport many times. And so <laughs> I've noticed the automation happening there as well and all over the world. Um, you're right. Um, you know, our, our lives are worth more than just carrying a bin from one location to another. Uh, and, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how many lives have already been spent on doing that task. Mm-hmm. So if we can automate, then it frees us up to do the things that are more human. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, me, that's that. That is that is why we're doing it. It's not just because of technology, just to roll it out for technology's sake. It's to actually help free us to be more human. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's so great. That's that, if we get again, listeners, if we get nothing else out of this conversation, that's another one to take away. Um, let's be more human with technology. Um, so now let's go into. You wrote a chapter in in a book called Government uh, Government Digital: The Quest to Regain Public Trust. And you say in that in that chapter that for companies, learning and development of their employees is rapidly becoming a competitive driver, critical for attracting talent as well as retaining and upskilling existing employees. I've long known this, but say more about it from your perspective. Well, I think even when we chatted before, you talked about how, you know, there's a large percentage of the workforce that's actively disengaged from work. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen studies where it's up to 60% of the employee base is not really engaged in what they're doing uh, in the course of a day. And so we've got a, a misalignment. Uh, we need to figure out how we actually spark those passions and learning is one way to do that. So if we can say, here are all the in-demand skills that we as an employer value that are, we think are the future of, of uh, this job or this career or, or our company. Uh, and an employee gets to pick from that menu to say, oh, uh, based upon where I am today and what I want to do in the future, I want to actually learn, uh, you know, pick up a certificate here or a degree there, or it could be just simply be just a little course uh, that steps me towards that eventual uh, career pathway. To me, that's where we start to get that alignment between you know, what you as an individual want to pursue as your passions and what the employer is looking for. Or, and it doesn't necessarily have to be just up to the employer to help provide this. It could be bigger than that. But if we can get that alignment going, it should drive better engagement. And that's what we're seeing. So we're, you know, employers that we work with today that really invest heavily in learning are seeing retention of their employees dramatically improved, engagement scores going up dramatically, just all the key measures that you're looking for, including like uh, client happiness or are their clients happier with the services being provided? Well, yes, if you've got engaged employees that are learning, you know, and picking up these new skills, then yeah, the end result is a better business outcome. So, you know, it's not that uh, uh, this is something that uh, many employees are saying, well, I really don't want people to learn. (laughs) It's just really hard uh, to do this today. And so what we've tried to do as a company is make that really easy to curate uh, a number of different high demand skills that are you know, in in need for these employers and the associated uh, courses being provided by our academic clients and just trying to make that really easy for them to access both internally developed programs that are used to skill up their employees, but also to leverage uh, programs that are built within our academic client base, whether it's a university or college that might be nearby. Mm. I want to situate here what you're saying and from my vantage point here, John. So I have a dear, a dear friend and colleague um, that I really admire and respect, Bob Chapman. He's the CEO of Barry Waymiller. 
you know him, I think. Yes, I think you actually think I think you mentioned him in something that you wrote. Did you? Uh, no, I, I've heard of him, but I okay. don't know. He, he's, a, he's a beautiful soul in the world doing really important work. But what he really talks about, John, is he talks about the importance of leaders to care for their employees. Mm -hmm. And it's about caring and listening to them and stewarding their lives as somebody's one precious child. And it occurs to me that if a company is giving their employees an education, they are really caring for them. They're caring for their well-being um, and their ongoing fitness for life and work. And I think that's pretty beautiful. I couldn't be more. Right. So, you know, I, I'm an employer of 900 uh, people. And, you know, when we think about our ed, uh, benefits programs, we don't just think about wellness and health and, you know, mental well-being and all these other areas. We actually think education is an education benefit. Um, and so if we can think about our benefits strategy a little bit broader to also include the mental development, uh, the help that we can provide to our employees to really pursue their careers, then that's 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 magic. You know, that's where we get this beautiful alignment uh, and uh, can really support their, you know, their development and engagement. Mm -hmm. Love it. Absolutely love it. Okay, so next, you, you sort of mentioned this already, but I'd love for you to bring this to life for our listeners and viewers. But, but you cite that in our fourth industrial revolutionary times, that skills within a span of a career will become obsolete. You mentioned that already in the last segment. But you, you have some stats from that chapter that I wanted you to presence, if you would. That really talk about the what where, what this the import of this. Would you share them with us? Yeah. So the the expected lifespan of a skills is so expected to be three to five years uh, today, even for some technical skills. So it's just the staggering turnover of skill development. So if you learn how to you know develop software in a certain language, you know five years later you're probably learning a new framework or, or a new technology. Uh, so even in the technology space, uh, these skills are changing very very quickly. Um, and so you've got that lifespan that's coming down, which demands that we, we learn, uh, learn new things all the time. But you've also got this other statistic, which is pointing to about 350 million jobs being displaced. And there's, that's actually on the low end. There's other studies that show six or 700 million. And that was pre-pandemic. Uh, and if you look at the pandemic, you know, the, which I didn't write a book after the pandemic yet. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the UN actually cites about 2.4 billion jobs were impacted uh, during the height of the pandemic. So that was a lot of people that were displaced, even just temporarily from, from employment, from work. Shows how precarious our jobs actually are. And so we need to, to do everything we can to help make sure that, um, you know, we're for folks that were displaced to tens of millions in the U.S., um, that we do everything we can to re-educate, get them back on the right track and get them back on their feet. You know, even for me, John, I mean, I look at this year uh, and I've been asked by some of my clients to take on different work that I really haven't done before, which this year has included um, doing more of like being hired as a, a both a, a thought leader as well as a, a media person to help steward topics and drive conversations. And, and so that's something that I that actually came from the pandemic. Um, I, that's not something that I ever asked for it to do. It just it came my way because of the pandemic. So it's exciting to see really what's out there. And, and what I get excited about too is I, I've got a 17-year-old daughter and I don't even know when she gets out of college in a few years, what's going to be available for her. I can't even counsel her today on what could she consider because it probably won't exist. Yeah. So, well, there's a lot of jobs that are going to exist that, um, uh, that don't exist today. So, you know, five years ago, would you have thought that being a drone pilot could have been a job. 
no. <laughs> what about you know? Uh, what about someone that's designing you know systems to support self-driving trucks? Uh, well, that didn't exist five years ago either. And so there's all kinds of jobs being created. Um, and so I, I wouldn't worry so much about there not being a job at the end of this. There's going to be right. millions and millions of jobs, more than we actually have today. Um, but what we need to do is figure out what, what are the skills that I'm going to need uh, that are going to help set, my, set me up and, or my daughter up to make sure that she has the skills in an area that she's passionate about uh, for that future. And so there's, by the way, there's, no, there's not going to be any shortage of you know, jobs in the medical space, <laughs> whether right. it's nursing or you know, uh, support workers, you name it. There's a lot of jobs there. Same thing in technology. There's, there's going to be you know, millions of more jobs that open up as we continue to embrace technology. Uh, and then every single field, if you can imagine, is going to uh, go through this digital transformation. So whether it's insurance or banks or government or every industry is going to have this uh, big change as we ripple technology through each one of these. So, you know, picking up some technology skills or even these durable skills around creativity or problem solving, critical thinking, all of these skills are going to be really relevant to be uh, a, a big actor or a big player in making those trans transformations happen for these companies, for these organizations. Mm -hmm. You already mentioned um, things like creativity and, and emotional intelligence and such, but one of the other things that I'm so aware of is just the, a lack of critical thinking skills. Um, it just, I just, am, I think we would have a very different outcome of how it is that we debate and how we even consider politics if we could, if we could improve our, our, crit our critical thinking skills. Your perspective there, and does 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 D2L specifically oh, yeah. address that? Yeah, well, you, you know, um, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> I think if we're going to solve some of the most important problems that we have to to tackle, uh, you know, we need people that can problem solve, that can think critically, uh, and we also need to change how we educate uh, students, both in the schools as well as the universities, to really lean into these durable skills. Uh, if we're not providing opportunity for them to think critically. Uh, to problem solve, to demonstrate entrepreneurial uh, thinking, wh wh whatever domain you want to pick, then we're really not setting them, setting those students up for success for their future. We're not preparing them for what comes next. You know, I think there's lots of different ways we could do this that don't require a huge disruption too, where we could do things like work integrated learning, where we take a student that's going through high school or going through university or college and get them a work experience so that they can understand some of the challenges that uh, are in that environment, discover if they like that environment, <laughs> but also at the same time, use it as an opportunity to really feed back into our colleges and universities. Uh, well, here's, here's the real world problems that we're trying to solve out there and create that feedback loop back into uh, the universities and colleges to help nudge, nudge them forward in terms of their thinking around programming or how they're providing their education to their students. Mm, I love that. I'm, I'm in for that, John. I love that. Yeah, um, feedback's key, Elise. Like, uh, you know, uh, I think of it as almost like a virtual feedback loop, right? Where, you know, if the, the more feedback, the better for both the education system as well as for the students as well as for the employer. Uh, you get this great circle going. Yeah, uh, it, that's amazing. That's that. It's so fresh, right? I know for my daughter, for example, she doesn't she doesn't like. Um, her language arts class, which is, an, 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 I'm realizing it's because she doesn't understand how it, 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 
relates to the world and she doesn't there's not a connection for her. how does this show up in, in everyday life and it's a real missing and it's and of course it's such an important part of my life but so i'm like how do i get this across to her well so storytelling does. is such a huge <laughs> i know i know and i do it all the time every week right we're doing a story of some kind right yeah. yeah. So the feedback loop is amazing. And I appreciate very much how you're bringing this to life for our, our listeners, and our viewers. It's great to have you on. Let's grab our last break. I'm Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with John Baker. He is the founder of D2L. We've been talking a bit about restarting or, or retooling the workplace. After the break, we're going to talk about restarting the economy post-COVID. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you didn't already know this, if you didn't hear another announcement, I did actually just launch a new platform. It's called Gusto Now. It's an e-learning transformation platform for, for my leadership pro program, and I do it in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. Those are my favorite languages. And for uh, my listeners, I do offer a discount of 20%. So you just when you check out, it's WOP20. If you're just tuning in, my guest is John Baker. He is the founder of D2L. So for this next bit here, John, I, I wanted to talk about how we can restart the economy. But before we do that, I want to position just the problem of engagement that we talked about early on. So you know that for me, right, I, I'm really, really interested in help, help, helping people want to come to work um, because I think it's such a precious, important part of life. And yet, as you say, we have a real problem with, with disengagement across the world. And your chapter that I mentioned earlier cites that roughly $500 U.S. billion is lost in productivity um, through lack of employee engagement with 68% of the workforce not feeling engaged with what they do. So situate for us why that is such a problem for companies. Well, uh, that's a, if the billions of dollars don't underscore how big of a problem that is, it's uh, I don't I don't know what will. <laughs> but the um, you know at the heart of it is if you if you've got an engaged workforce, they're going to run through walls to solve problems for your customers and for your company and really help you take that next leap uh, that you're going to need to to thrive in this this new environment. Uh, whereas if they're not engaged, they're, they're actively looking for work or they're, you know, they're completely checked out of what they're doing today. And, and that's not a good situation. Um, and so, you know, to me, uh, we need to work on fixing those statistics. Uh, we measure those by the way, at, at our own company all the time, doing pulse surveys, doing, you know, full year surveys, just trying to make sure that we're building a great culture and that, um, you know, people are fully engaged and just simply ask, you know, are you engaged or are you really liking the work that you're doing? And if not, what is it that we can do to help get you on the right track? You know, uh, I meet with every employee in, in our company at least once a year, and I ask them really one simple question. It seems simple, but the face of it is I just ask, you know, you're probably doing 100 different things for us, but what's one thing 
that's going to be an example of you doing the best work of your life. Something that you're going to be proud to tell your parents about, your your family, your friends. Something that's really going to be a demonstration of you putting in a personal best. And and how are you carving out enough time in the day uh, to actually get that done? And so it's really trying to help people connect what they're working on to how they're growing as a person, to how they're really having an impact, and how you know we're trying to do everything we can to align about around them becoming world class at their craft. Doesn't matter if you're a people leader or an individual contributor. You know we want you to be world class at that craft. Mm, that's so beautiful, John. Can I come to work for you too? Yeah, uh, anytime. <laughs> anytime. If you can help our people find purpose. It uh, it has a huge impact. Uh, I know we ha- we brought in. A, you're gonna laugh at this one, uh, Lise, but we brought in an artist into uh, what we call it, like our artist in residence program. Mm. And she went around to every team, you know, back when we were in the office, <laughs> and she visited with each team. And said, well, what kind of art would you like hanging on your walls? And mm. she, uh, she took it on herself to actually go build a connection with uh, folks all over the organization. And we now have this amazing collection of art hanging all through the office that's really a reflection of the teams uh, that are within the organization, as well as this artist. Uh, and what we discovered through that was, you know, sh- her working with, uh, you know, the software developers in some cases, help them find a voice, uh, help them articulate what it is that they really were passionate about or what they really cared about. So uh, it's not just about, you know, uh, building an environment where you're making this, you know, part of the HR mantra. It's also trying to figure out how to incorporate others into the work environment that are going to draw out the best out of your people. Mm, I, there's nothing funny or laughable about that to me, John. I think it's absolutely stunning and exquisite and more, more organizations ought to do that. I think that's a fantastic example. I'm glad you shared it. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, plus it, it gets rid of the blank walls <laughs> and put something right. beautiful on the walls. Right, know? exactly. Never mind the wallpaper or the paint. Let's 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 do art. I like it. Um, all right. Well, next, uh, I I want to really have you, if you would, situate for our, our our listeners and our viewers, just really from your perspective, the ten thousand foot level, what COVID has done to the workplace. What does that look like from your vantage point? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, a huge transformation of the workplace. So in many respects, we've been pulled into the future uh, and, mm-hmm. and it's created almost uh, this fog over, you know, how do we navigate these next steps? Uh, you know, whether we're remote working from home or in the workplace, how do we make sure we're doing things in a way that's going to uh, help us get from where we are today to where we're feeling comfortable, safe and secure and and making sure that we're uh, doing the best that we can to set up that workplace for the future. You know, uh, there's a there's a line that I like, which is, you know, there are many decades where nothing happens, and then there are years where decades happen. Uh, and this has been one of those years where a lot has happened uh, that's disrupted many workplaces, that's transformed them, uh, that's, you know, uh, had a really impact on how we actually engage with, uh, with uh, the office, if you will, in particular. You know, if I look at the, the the really big picture, you know, we've seen about 2.4 billion jobs get impacted in one way or another uh, through this pandemic around the world. Uh, in education, we've seen 1.1 billion students uh, get impacted with their education. Many of them have actually uh, uh, seen tremendous learning loss because in some cases, schools have not even reopened in some countries around the world. Right. And so this has this huge ripple effect that's going to create issues in the workplace as well, too. Uh, and then I, I sat on a, an industry strategy council, which was looking at mapping how do we actually uh, restart 
recover and reimagine the economy to get the economy back on the right track. And so what, what, what can we do today to make purposeful investments today uh, that are going to help bend that curve back up in the right direction to get our economy back on the right track and get people back to work and, and make work meaningful for folks? Hmm. All music to my ears. Um, now, one thing that I'm also very aware of, I mean, I, my business obviously really did um, take a, a different turn for this year. And, and I, I was able to, to um, innovate new products and services in, in the quiet time. And, and I'm very cognizant that for many people, their, their, their jobs have either gone away entirely or, or they've lost their jobs. So what advice do you have for people who have lost their jobs in this pandemic? There's, there are lots of people still looking for employees. There's a lot of different jobs that have been created uh, through this pandemic. And it's, it's about, you know, reaching out, figuring out which, which of these employers, you know, uh, it's not a big leap for you to make in terms of a transition to get back on your feet uh, and take the time to invest in some of your education, to sharpen these skills that you've, you've developed over the years. You'll be amazed at how transferable they are from one industry to the next or from one, one job to the next. Uh, and together, uh, we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to get you onboarded into the, these different industries that are, that are looking for talent today. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm also optimistic that the vaccine's going to have an impact in terms of helping many different employers get back on, their, on the right track. And there are a lot of different sectors that were severely negatively impacted with this, um, with COVID-19, you know, whether it's the airline, retail in some, in some areas or hospitality in particular, all of these have been really impacted. Arts and culture, I would, I would argue has also been really impacted. Absolutely. And, and so, but at the same time, if you look at the growth curves for each of these industries from this point forward, they are growing. Um, they're going to get back on the right track over the course of the next little while, and they're going to need people to get re-onboarded. But at the same time, if you can, if you're not patient <laughs> to wait for those jobs to be created over the next year or two, you know, how, how do you jump into another high demand area today that are where, where people are desperate for people to come in to support the growth of these sectors? Mm. Well, I think it's so exciting, right? The idea that, I mean, for example, for the work that I do today, John, I would have never guessed when I was in my 20s that I would be a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose or that I would have a book out or I'd host a radio show. I would have never imagined that. Um, and yet I still don't even know what I'm unfolding into further around the corner. And I find that really exciting. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, well, I mean, you're probably a living proof that these, these skills that you've developed in your education are really transferable from becoming a professor to teaching to management consulting to radio show to video. <laughs> All of these are examples of you stretching and going beyond what the original intention was for that education. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and to your point, in doing it in more, increasingly more through technology. Yeah, that, that, that is one thing that I see is we're, we're almost sitting on this crossroads where you know, we're either going to just simply consume technology being built somewhere else or we're going to start to build the technology. And so I'm advocating for a lot more people to jump into STEM, into, you know, what we think of as STEAM now, if you include the arts, uh, to really uh, support uh, these high, high demand, high growth areas. Mm -hmm. Definitely believe in supporting the arts, especially to, to stoke the creativity, the critical problem solving, all those sorts of things. So completely, let's bring the arts back, please. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what are, from your vantage point, John, you work with a lot of different organizations all over the world. 
um, what are some of the things you would suggest companies do to help start the economy, restart the economy? Well, there's one universal that I've, it doesn't matter which sector uh, I've talked to, and I've talked to probably at least a thousand CEOs over the course of the last few months uh, and hundreds of different organizations. And, uh, and one universal has been upskilling and reskilling. So it doesn't matter what sector they're in, they're going through transformation. And so they're looking for uh, investments into the new skills that are going to help them navigate these new waters. And so, again, I, I you know, uh, I know I've got a little bit of a bias because I've, I've built a learning company, <laughs> but uh, but it, that thing that that really that stood out to me in terms of the, every conversation. So whether it was an airline CEO or a big retailer or someone that was uh, l- largely in the hospitality sector, reskilling was uh, a common thread, but upskilling was a surprising one. Mm. The investment in new uh, education for their existing employees to help them pick up the skills they're going to need to transform their industry as it either goes green uh, in some cases or goes to digital or is transformed in one way or another. And so that universal translates to me as trying to figure out, well, uh, what programs can I build internally? How can I get really good at doing that? Or uh, what kind of partnerships can I build with the academic community so that I can leverage all the great uh, work that's been done in our, in our communities and connect the dots to make it easier for my employees. And so we're we're trying to build solutions and technology in that space to make that even easier. Hmm. Um, but but I'd, I'd also say, have a conversation with your employees. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, when times are uncertain, communication is so critical. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but uh, in my company, we went from meeting weekly or monthly in, in so, with some teams to daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing just simple daily stand-ups. Nothing provides better reassurance in terms of uh, alignment and making sure people are on the right path and just simply just checking in to make sure people are okay. Those things make a real difference in helping people rally to the new new strategy. Yeah, it takes it really takes something, and you've got to work on that well-being for sure. Um, and, and to that end, John, we're getting close to the end of the show here, but if you could, what are... I've been trying to ask as many people as I can this question, but what are some of the biggest lessons we should take away from this pandemic? How uh, people matter. <laughs> you know, I, I keep coming back to, there's so many things that have gone wrong during this pandemic. But one of the things that uh, I've, I've really liked hearing about is all the stories of people leaning in, working with each other, helping each other through these, these challenges, and uh, looking out for each other, picking each other up uh, when, when people are down. You know, uh, you know, you, you can look at a pandemic and see this as, you know, seeing it as the worst of times, but you can also see some of the best of humans <laughs> coming together to help each other out uh, during these tough times. And to me, I, I choose to look at the good, um, the silver linings, the, the, uh, the, the tests of our character and our values coming through and how we deal with, with people. Mm-hmm. Me too. I'm also a several, silver lining gal. So here we are, John. We we managed to 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 use up already one one hour of our time. We're at the end of the show. This show, as you know, is listened to by people across the world, and it's really designed to help people develop a more meaning infused culture and, and and inspirational leadership. And given that, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Say in about thirty seconds. Well, uh, you know, we, we're talking a lot about transformation of our economy and the digitization of it, but the end result is a more human outcome. So giving people back time to pursue, you know, their passions, 
uh, being able to uh, help people go from uh, routine jobs to hopefully ones that give them an opportunity to express their passions, their creativity, their leadership. And to me, that's the best is when we can move up that value chain, if you will, and stop doing the the busy work and start doing the really, really impactful work that's going to have a real impact on business outcomes on, in my case, educational outcomes uh, and really supporting, um, you know, the people that are in our, in our, in the world around us. So I wish you all the best as you navigate these waters. And if I could ever help, uh, I'm just uh, an email away. Thank you. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a tremendous privilege and pleasure to have you on and share what you're doing in the world. Thank you for that. And thank you for being you and doing what you're doing in the world. Thank you for being you and helping people find their purpose. Absolutely. I love it. It's my jam. Listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about John Baker and the work they do at D2L, go to their website. It's just D2L.com. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch a be recorded podcast. We were on the air with Michael Levy. He's the CEO of WorkProud, talking about how companies can create cultures of meaning and appreciation that drive performance and retention. Next week, we'll be on the air with Renee Cermak, talking about her book in human transformation and her work as well. Her book is called How to Be Your Biggest Fan, The Value and Power of High Self-Esteem. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose. Thank you.